Hello, and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. Probably tick those boxes. Uh, another big priority for me is in relation to what God's given for me to do. So for the last 20 plus years, I've been here at Aldinga Bay Baps and um, and during that time, you know, I thought, well, how can I best pastor this church? And it's been about getting into God's Word and, and helping people to hear the gospel and to respond to that and uh, to pray for people, develop leaders, all those things, you know. So that's some of my priorities. Uh, and I wonder what your priorities in life are as you think about it this morning. But there's kind of like a second question as well uh, around all of this. And that is, um, and that, is that uh how do we arrive at priorities? You know, there's a whole lot of different things that uh, compete in our lives, aren't there? There's a whole lot of people who have very different priorities. They put other things before something that we might put in very much second place. Why is that? Well, it's kind of, I think we derive our priorities from our values. That's what it is, isn't it? You know, we, we value certain things. And there is, there is a narrative that every single person listens to in their life, a story that captures their attention. And they say, this is what it is I'm going to give my life to. That's how it works, isn't it? And then we develop our priorities around those things. So the question this morning, and I look at this text, is what is it? that we see here, which are Jesus' priorities. What were his priorities? What were his values? And how should that speak into our lives as everyday Australians today? Okay, priorities. Three points. Uh, Firstly, uh, the setting. I want to talk about the setting of this text. Uh, Secondly, I want to look at the conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. It's just a great, it's a cracker of a story, really. And then thirdly, the heart of God. Okay, so start with the setting. You know, without doubt, here we are 2,000 years on from this story. And if you're in the first century, particularly if you're a Jew, there would have been so many things that you should have known straight away about this story that us poor Aussies 2,000 years on have, we're clueless about largely. So to really make it make sense, you do need to know some of the background behind it, okay? So um, this is how it goes. We know this just from reading through the text that uh, Jesus has been in Jerusalem, you know, the capital of, of uh, Judea, and now he's going up to Galilee in the north. And right in the middle between Judah and Galilee, if you look at a map, is this place called Samaria. And just as in our day and age today in Palestine, there are places of ethnic tension, it was exactly the same in Jesus' day. There were places of ethnic tension, and this place was Samaria. And it it went like this. Uh, Some of the story behind this is a pretty familiar story if you've been around church for a while. You know, the the ethnic tension between the Samaritans and the people of Judea sort of starts around about a thousand years before the ministry of Jesus. So it's been going a while when you think about it. And and it's like this, you know, it's it's, uh, King David, thousand years before Jesus, is king of of Israel, which is the entire place, uh, including Solomon. But then when he's he's king, he's king over everything. But then David's grandson, Rehoboam, comes to the throne. And we end up with what's called the divided kingdom. So a lot of us know that story. It is the the kingdom of, of Israel in the north, and then there's the kingdom of Judah in the south. And the capital of Judah is Jerusalem. But the capital of of Israel in the north is this place called Samaria. 
And the Northern Kingdom is the stronger politically of the kingdoms. It's got more people, it's got more wealth, it's uh, stronger politically, but it's also pretty corrupt. When you read through some of the, the Old Testament books, like the book of First Kings, you really see what's going on there. It's just godless. And so around about 700 years before Jesus, which we know is 700 BC, uh, the Assyrians roll in and they completely obliterate the northern kingdom, which is known as Israel. And they take, they take just about all of the Israelis and relocate them in Assyria. They leave some sort of Israelis around that are not really much, sort of not nobles or anything like that. They leave some around. And then they relocate people from Assyria and they put them into uh, in, into Israel. And these two groups of people, you know, they get together, they have families, and those people, the descendants of those people, are known as the Samaritans, okay? So that's where they come from. And the Jews absolutely hate the Samaritans and vice versa. And the reason for that, well, one of the reasons for it <clears throat> is because of this religious tension between the two. And this is kind of important to today's story. And this is the part people probably aren't as familiar with. You know about the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, probably a bit about how the Samaritans come about, but it's this religious tension which is between them, which is, which is kind of, as I said, pretty central to this story. And it goes like this. There were some things they had in common, which is normally the case when there's religious tension. There's some things in common. And one of the things they had in common was that both the Jews and the Samaritans believed in the God of the Old Testament, However, the Samaritans had a very had had a much smaller Old Testament to that of the Jews. You know, the Jews have the same Old Testament as what we have, but the Samaritans only held to the books of Moses, which is the first five books of your Bible: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all they held to. So you think about that and you think, ah, oh, that's kind of a very different story, isn't it? You know, there's a, there's a lot that's actually cut out of of the whole story. You know, there's, there's no Psalms, there's no historical books, there's no major prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and things like that, which are already written by the time of Jesus. There's nothing like that. And very importantly to all of this is that because only held to the first five books, they didn't recognise that Jerusalem was the rightful place of the temple of God. They said, no, the rightful place of the temple of God <clears throat> is in Samaria and in this place called Mount Gerizim, which is in Samaria. There was a, there was a huge political uproar because they actually built a temple there around about 400 BCs, BC and the Jews promptly pulled it down and destroyed it. And so there's this hatred between them. And so strong is this argument about the place of worship that if you look back on this text that Rennell's read for us today, it actually comes up in this story. So the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. But the beautiful thing about this story, isn't it, is that Jesus is very different. He loves this woman. He comes and goes out of his way to have a conversation with this woman. And so that's really the second point that I want us to think about this morning. You know the background, hopefully a bit more clued in, a bit more like the first century people, sort of knowing what's going on behind the scenes. And then you have this conversation between Jesus and this woman. Let me just read some of it for you again. Pick it up in verse 5. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, he sat beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, says the ESV, my Bible, which in real terms is about midday. And then Jesus strikes up a conversation. This woman comes along and Jesus says, give me a drink, which just breaks all the protocols of the day because Jewish men never spoke to women in the first place and they certainly didn't speak to Samaritans. And so this lady is really intrigued by the fact that Jesus is speaking to her. You know, she's astonished. She says, what on earth are you talking to me for? You know, I'm a Samaritan woman. But then Jesus goes on further. And this is the beautiful thing about this text. He goes on further and he, he says something to her that just sounds so absurd. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So to her, it just sounds crazy. You know, who is this man? But Jesus goes on and he says things like, he's greater than Jacob. So Jacob is, you know, you know the Old Testament. He's one of the great patriarchs, the grandson of Abraham. So for Jews and Samaritans, you know, you don't have people of greater noteworthiness than, than the patriarchs. And, and Jesus seems to be implying that he's greater than, than Jacob because he can give this water, he can give this lady water that she will drink and she will never, ever thirst again. I wonder what you think when you, you hear those words. You know, you think about those words of Jesus, just to read some of it again, you know, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, they will, he will never be thirsty. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. I wonder what you think when you hear those words. Well, maybe, maybe a few things. But I, I think in some ways we're not surprised, are we? I mean, here we are, Christians living in this year, what, 2022, and, and we're just used to Jesus saying things like this. You know, John chapter 6, a few weeks ago, we were looking at that text, weren't we? And, and there Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats of my flesh or drinks of my blood, you know, will have life. In John chapter 7, Jesus again picks up in this whole story about uh, offering living water to people. In John 14, Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. We're just so used to Jesus saying these Incredible statements, aren't we? That we sort of, it just rolls off the tongue. Just, you know, we really don't even pay that much attention when Jesus says that he's offering living water because that's what Jesus is like. He's the son of God. You know, he's saying that he's the Messiah. He's all of those things. But what about this lady? You know, here's a stranger. He rocks up. He's a Jew. He's talking to her and he's saying things that just would have seemed crazy to her, you know, what do you mean living water? What do you mean you're greater than Jacob? Who do you really think you are? It's just what it seems so crazy to her. So all of a sudden, Jesus earns credibility. I mean, she's just blowing him off up until this point. I'm sure that's the case. Just, all right, she's humouring him. Sure, she's saying. But then Jesus earns credibility because that's the bit about the husband, if you know this story, where Jesus turns to her and says, go get your husband. And um, she says, oh, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus tells her something about herself that he should never know. He says, oh, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five. And the man that you're now sleeping with is actually not your husband. And this is where the story gets really interesting, I reckon. 
you know, it gets interesting, not so much because we've now got this juicy bit of gossip about this lady. You know, I'm sure that's, you know, that was what people would have thought about her. You know, she, here she's been married five times. She's now sleeping with somebody else's husband probably or, you know, some other bloke anyway. That's a juicy bit of gossip. You know, the thing about this woman that most people say is that she's probably an outsider, even amongst the Samaritans, because of her lifestyle. And there's a couple of telltale signs that this is the case because she, he, she comes to the well on her own and normally women came together, you know, because that's just what happens. You know, women do most things together. And, and so uh, normally women come together and normally women don't come in the middle of the day because it's the hottest part of the day. They would come at the beginning, at the end of the day. So you know, the idea is that probably she is an outcast and it's probably because of this juicy bit of gossip about her. But this is what I think is really interesting about this story, is that Jesus raises this thing here. And don't you think it's just a little bit fascinating that nothing gets picked up on about this? You know, she doesn't creep away embarrassed. She doesn't try and justify herself. She doesn't actually say anything about this. What actually happens is that she perceives that Jesus is a prophet, and exactly her words, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And the very next thing she does is she talks about this age-old argument about the place of worship. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. It's interesting, isn't it? Why does she say that? Why does she go and talk about this place of worship and where's the right place to worship God? Well, I reckon it's this. See what you think. But I think it's this. There are no atheists as we know it in Jesus' day. And this woman is no atheist. She believes in God. And the thing that she wants more than anything is for her religion to be true. She wants to know God. She wants to be loved by God. She wants to be accepted and she wants to be forgiven. And so she talks about this very thing because it's what matters most to her. In fact, it continues on. Jesus says a few important things after that about the right place and what worship's really about. But then she says this, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. He will be called Christ. And when he comes, notice what she says, he will tell us all things. Oh, that's it, isn't it? She wants to know all things. She is very concerned about God. And knowing him. Why is that? Well, because she is actually thirsty. She is thirsty, not physically, but she is thirsty in her soul. And the truth is, see what you reckon, but the truth is we all are. I read this great little statement recently and it went like this. We get hungry physically because there is such a thing as bread. We get hungry, we get thirsty physically rather, because there is such a thing as water. And we get thirsty spiritually because there is such a person as God. That's it, isn't it? You know, you look around the world and you look at civilizations, perhaps with the exception of our own, in this secular world. And there is always a searching after God. There is always some deity that they're going after. And that's because there is a thirst in our souls. 
And Jesus comes to this woman, and it's really beautiful, isn't it? He strikes up the conversation with her. He knows exactly what to say to this person. You know, he, he, he just like, it was just like last week, we looked at the story of Nicodemus. Jesus knew exactly what to say to him. He knows exactly what to say to her. He draws her in. In fact, there's this little bit of uh, background information that I couldn't resist. I thought, I've got to bring this in this morning because it just helps us appreciate it even more. So here's the Samaritans. They only hold to the first five books of the Bible. But they still believe in the coming Messiah. They called him the Taheb. That was the word they had for him. She refers to him as Messiah here because she knows that's what the Jews call him. But, you know, it's the Taheb. That's what they were looking forward to. And he was, he was somebody that was the prophet that Moses promised was going to come after him. So they were looking forward to this. He was this teacher that was going to come. But also in the book of Numbers, in fact, the story of Balaam, if you know the story of Balaam and the prophecy that Balaam gives, in that, in that prophecy, there's this throwaway line, or maybe throwaway to us, but it wasn't to the Samaritans. They held on to it. And it talks about somebody coming one day carrying buckets of water. And that's what they said, the Taheb, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to come carrying buckets of water. And here's Jesus at the well saying, I'm offering you living water to drink. It's kind of this beautiful little line, isn't it? Jesus knows exactly how to draw her in. He knows exactly what she's looking for, living water. And he's claiming to be the Messiah, to which she gets so excited and, you know, goes away and, and, uh, and goes tells her townsfolk about what's going on. It's a really good story. What's the priority of Jesus? That's the question. What was that priority of Jesus? Well, it's to go and to break all social protocols, you know, don't care about what people think, and to talk to this woman who's an outsider. And the reason he talks to this woman who's an outsider, so important for us, really the last point of the sermon, the reason why he talks to her is because that is the heart of God. God cares about people. This is a very important text for us, really. Good for me because it's very easy to get busy in my life, very easy for me to get caught up in my own affairs and to let people walk past me every single day and not care about where they're going, not care about, you know, whether they belong to Jesus or not. Don't give it a second thought because there's so many things that are pressing in my life. Do you ever find that? Is that just me? Is that, you know, I don't think so. You know, it's true, isn't it? That's exactly what happens. But the heart of the Father, I love this passage because it just, it is ringing with the heart of God for people. We already see it with Jesus and then we see it further as the text goes on. Notice what Jesus says about God, about the Father in this text. In verse, what, verse 23, when he's talking about worship, when she said, where's the place to worship? Jesus says, the hour is coming and it's now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And then I love this line here. Just notice it. That's what it says. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. My God's seeking people. It sounds a lot like John 3.16, you know, part of last week's text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's it. That's, that verse is sandwiched between the story of Nicodemus and the woman at the well, and it is speaking about both of them. God loves people, 
and he's seeking them and he goes after them. And it's said so overtly in this passage. We didn't read this far, but as you keep on reading, we, we see this, you know, the disciples have gone to get Jesus some food because it's the middle of the day, he's hungry. It says so much about, you know, that Jesus is not only divine, but he's fully man, he's hungry. Disciples come back pretty excited because they've got some food for Jesus and they present it to him. And Jesus says, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. And they're like, oh man, who gave him food to eat? We, we did that. But no, Jesus goes on, he says, no, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. It's really overt, isn't it? My priority, my food, the thing that is such a priority, in fact, that it even trumps physical food because this is what gets me excited, Jesus says, to do the will of him who sent me. See, the heart of God is to reach out to people. It's just a beautiful thing. It's actually a little bit strange, don't you think? Because if you have a, a high view of God, which hopefully we do, and, uh, you know, hopefully we do, but we certainly wouldn't get there as far as how high it's supposed to be because we just fall short. God is that great. But it's a strange thing, isn't it? He is God, creator of heaven and earth, the God who lives beyond the universe, who is the environment for the universe, as Christians we believe. All of that, yet this tiny speck, which is all the earth is, isn't it? A tiny speck in the universe, a tiniest of specks. And then on that speck of dust, which we call home, there's all these creatures. But then there's humanity, boys and girls, men and women. And God says, I love them. They are the Imago Dei. I created them in my image. I created them for a relationship. Wow, that's, that is kind of a strange thing. But that's the reality of the Bible, that you are loved by God. That's what Lent's about, isn't it? It's reminding us, Jesus came, the second person of the Trinity. He came and lived among us with the purpose of, at Easter, of going to the cross and dying for you, for you, because you are thirsty, because you are needy, because you are a beggar and you have nothing. But Jesus came and died for you in order that you might be brought into a relationship with the Father. You might know God. That is incredibly beautiful. You are not alone in this world. There is somebody who loves you somebody you can talk to, somebody that you can get on your knees before and say, I need you because I am a sinner and I have failed and I have walked away. But I thank you that no matter how much I've fallen, like the Samaritan woman, it doesn't matter. I am loved and I can be forgiven because of Jesus. So that's what we're banging on about here as a church. That's what matters the most. That's the priority. I hope that continues to be the priority into the future is that, that we say, regardless of all the differences, regardless of, of whatever that we might like to camp on, it is the gospel that matters. You know, it is the fact that Jesus is king and we need to surrender to him and live for him. That's what matters. That's what this world needs to know. And if we do know that, we just really want to be changed by that. And we want to reach out to this world, to the little old Aldinga, Southern Vales region with the gospel of Jesus. 
We're moving back to Aldinga. We're moving into Bay Indy College. What a great thing. Thank you, Jesus, for that. The growth area of Aldinga, Aldinga Bay Baptist, back at Aldinga. Who would have thought? What a great thing. You know, what God is doing. I'm looking forward to the future to see what God does at Aldinga Bay Baptist because he's hands on us. But the thing is, we are called, the heart of the Father, we are called to do exactly the same thing, to have the same priority, to have the same heart. And that's exactly how the text goes. Jesus takes this opportunity to teach his disciples. Don't you say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white under harvest. Really? It doesn't always feel that way, but no, that's what Jesus says. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. So Jesus is calling the disciples and he's saying, go out into the world and proclaim the gospel because God is at work. It is true that Australia is a pretty hard place for the gospel. There's no question about that. But God is at work. Places like Africa and Asia, Christianity is expanding rapidly, the missiologists tell me. God is at work. And the question is, are we involved in those things as well? How does he want us to be involved? Well, I think we're supposed to be changed. We're supposed to pray. We're to be people that are praying regularly for missions and missionaries, praying for places around the world, for the places that God has put on the heart of this church, for the places that God has put on your heart. We're supposed to give as well. We're supposed to be people that are generous. Instead of just putting away, so the temptation is to put away I'm going to be retiring maybe 10 plus years, you know, put away for that. Oh, yeah, well, I should, sure. But let's make sure that I'm being generous and trusting God and not having as much myself because I need to see the gospel go forward. I need to be caring for the poor and the marginalised. I need to be promoting the gospel any way I can. And maybe, maybe God is actually calling you to actually leave this area and go somewhere else, like Thomas and Joe did last year at almost this time in May, it was, at their last service, flew to Peru, and here they are today. And maybe God's calling us to do the same thing. Maybe there's people of God saying, you know, there's a lot going on in Africa. There's a lot going on in Asia. Maybe God's calling you to consider that. But one of the things I know that he is calling you to For sure, if you're here, he's calling you to be living for Jesus and promoting the gospel where you are today. He's definitely calling you to that. See, the church has a bit of an identity issue, doesn't it? You know, a lot of people say, I don't really think I like the church. You know, there's lots of things I don't like about that. But I'll tell you what, they might not like the church, but if you become their friend and if you live for Jesus and if he's showing up in your life, and you make lots of friends that aren't Christians, what a wonderful opportunity that will be for the gospel, where they will see Jesus in your life and you pray for those people and see what God does. 
So that's the call for us. This is to be a priority, to be an evangelist, to live for Jesus, to promote the gospel, however you want to phrase it. But that is the priority for you in your life. It's the priority for me. So that's the question really. The question really is, are you promoting the gospel with your life? Are you actively seeking to live for Jesus and be changed by the gospel? Because that's a really good first base. And then go on from there and actively pursue relationships. Be a friend. Just be a friend. Get out of the holy huddle. Be in the holy huddle as well and grow and live for Jesus, but just go out of the holy huddle and have friends. Promote the gospel. Consider God might be calling you to go. Certainly consider he is calling you to give and to pray because this passage is all about priorities. Lent is reminding us that Jesus went all the way to the cross for you, for this world, for God so loved the world. And he's calling us to do the same. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for what is genuinely a beautiful story uh, because we see your heart for somebody who's an outsider and we see Jesus actively pursuing this relationship, knowing exactly how to speak into it. And, and we confess, Father, we don't have that advantage. We don't always know what to say, but we do know that you send us and you promise to give us your spirit and you promise to help us. And Lord, we do know that we're supposed to love you and be changed by you. And we do know that you're calling us to just go into this world and to make friends and to talk and pray for opportunities and genuinely share when we're given those opportunities. Lord, we commit this to you. May it be a priority in our lives because it is your priority commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.